Hey, look, open to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Um, I got three, three brief advertisements, uh, if you will. Um, first, um, Ryan is going to be down here in front after the service. Um, come and meet, greet, give him a hug. He's a big fan of that. Get a nice, long, like, <laughs> tender embrace. That's, that's what we're looking for. <laughs> uh, two, um, we, I, I, got, I got two sermons this week, next week. We're going to be in James' topic of suffering. After that, though, we're going to get back into the Gospel of John. If, if, if you're new here relative in the last month or so, we've been going through some just different topics, Christian living, life in the local church, these type of things. But, but big picture, we, we've been working through the Gospel of John, so we're going to get back into the Gospel of John. Um, three, this is the last one, um, this morning and next week, right, um, Mission, we're, we're talking about this topic of suffering. And I just want to um, commend to you um, this, this book by uh, Jerry Bridges, Trusting God. I don't think I've ever read anything, certainly this, this, this small, um, that's this accessible uh, about this topic of, of walking wisely, trusting our Lord as we go through suffering and trials. So I want to commend you that, as well as there's also um, a 31-day devotional that, that's basically like the same type of thing. Um, Amazon can help you um, there. All right. Okay, so James chapter one, we're gonna start with verse two, and uh, this morning we're gonna go through verse 12. So James chapter one, start with verse two. Follow along with me as I, as I read it. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like, a, is like a wave of sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Verse nine, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And finally, blessed, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Can you relate? In the midst of suffering and trials, all the, all the good things that I know to be true can just go right out the window. Right? When, when things are going well, we're just... We're just humming right along, believing right things, obeying the Lord, but then, then suffering enters our story, and, and we, just, we just forget everything. I, I call this phenomenon theological amnesia. Theological amnesia is a, a partial or total memory loss of theological truths often occurring in times of trials. I've certainly seen this in my own life. I've, I've seen this in the lives of, of others as I've, I've walked with them through suffering and trials. And the fact is, we actually also see it in this passage. Did, did you notice when James said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, 
for you know. It's really interesting. James is actually telling them things that they already know, but are prone to forget in times of trials. You see, we don't often need something new. We need to be reminded of what's old and true. Those, those things that we, that we, that we know and, and, and we gladly, joyfully hold on to when things are going well, but, but, but seemingly forget when, when life throws us the curveball. And what James wants to do is remind us of the things that we're prone to forget in trial. So here's the plan. This week and next, we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 18. This morning, 2 through 12, and as you guessed, next Sunday, 13 through 18. So since both are dealing with the same issue, the main wisdom that James wants to give us is to live wisely in trials, believers must remember truths of Scripture. To live wisely in trials, believers must remember truths of Scripture. Now, I hear you all asking, how can I be expected to remember something that I'm forgetting? Right? Well, well let me tell you that this letter was written to a group of people. Not, not individually to people, not to a person, but to a group of people who, who were trying to live wisely together. You see, the beauty of this thing that the Bible calls the church, the believers, is that when I forget something that, that, I'm, that I'm supposed to be remembering and enjoying, I have you to remind me of that. You see, we need each other even for this, right? I mean, to live wisely in trials, we believers must remember truths of Scripture together, together. All right, just some quick background on the letter. So James, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Yeah, that, that Jesus. So James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing to Jewish Christians who are, who are scattered throughout the Mediterranean world and are experiencing religious persecution. Most are being financially exploited and so experiencing some measure of uh, uh, poverty, uh, even some very severe poverty. Um, some have wealth, but, but aren't uh, treating their fellow bo- uh, poor brothers and sisters well. Here's the thing, though. Sadly, every single one of them, in different ways, chose to use this season of trial to cause more trials for themselves. There's partiality happening amongst themselves, significant personal, interpersonal conflict, arrogance, and a host of other things a host of other things that we also can be tempted by and choose to do when the pressures of life come on. So James writes this letter to provide gospel-fueled wisdom for faithful living. James wrote this letter to them, and this letter's for us too. This is is gospel-fueled wisdom for living faithfully. And the wisdom that James gives us this morning and next week is to live faithfully in trials. Believers must remember truths of Scripture. So this morning, James has four things that he's going to talk to us about that we need to remember, and then next week we get a few more. So James's first piece of wisdom is found in verses 2 through 4. Um, let's read it again. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So James' wisdom here is in trials. In trials, we must remember that God providentially uses trials to strengthen our faith. James says that it's not if, but when. When trials come our way. D.A. Carson well says, the truth of the matter is that, that all we have to do is live long enough and, and we will suffer. It, it, it's funny, right? Trials shouldn't surprise us, but, but they do, don't they? And, and although this is subtle by James, it's, it's really, really important because folks make shipwreck of their faith when trials take them by surprise. So we should expect trials and we're to count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And James isn't after our emotions. He's not, not asking us to put on our happy faces. Trials are not fun. He's not saying that they're fun. What James is saying is that despite the seriousness and gravity of trials, I want you to consider. I want you to think about your trials from a joyful perspective. Why? How? And he says, verse three, for or because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let, you, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Friends, we're to consider our trials as an opportunity for, for great joy because there's a divine purpose in them. There's both a, a near purpose, steadfastness, and a far purpose that they will make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Beloved, there's a purpose in our trials. They are not pointless. God is providentially using them. God's providence can be defined as God's constant care for and his absolute rule over all creation for his own glory and the good of his people. In, in his providence, God rules over all things, directing all things and orchestrating all things to accomplish his purposes. Zero is left the chance. The, the, the Bible says that a little birdie does not fall to the ground apart from the will of God. The, the, the Bible also says that, that every turn of a die, every turn is determined by the will of the Lord. And friends, because of who God is, completely good, all loving, totally wise, we can take great comfort in knowing that that God, the one that we call our Heavenly Father providentially governs all things. James graciously reminds us of what we can so quickly forget in trials. God providentially uses trials to strengthen our faith. God providentially uses our trials for both a near purpose and a far purpose. The near purpose is that, 
that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, God isn't using our trials to determine if we have faith. God uses trials to strengthen, to purify the faith that already exists. You know, Peter similarly says uh, the same type of thing in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. Take a notes, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. He says, trials are used so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, James, James like Peter, likens trials to gold being refined in fire, burning away all the, impur- all the impurities. Look, this, this may be obvious and kind of silly to state, but room temperature won't work. It takes extreme heat. And so too with us. As we go through the crucible of trials, our impurities, doubts, unbelief, unsure thinking, they get get burned away. And in its place, what comes out is a pure faith that loves God more, and that trust him more, and that can stand up underneath the, the weight of this fallen world and persevere. James, James calls it steadfastness. God's far purpose in trials is that he wants his people to be like Jesus. James says that we're, we're to allow steadfastness to, to have its full effect for this purpose, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in Nothing. God uses trials to spiritually mature his people, but but he does so progressively. He progressively matures his people with the ultimate goal that when they go home to to be with him, they are complete. They're lacking in nothing, perfectly reflecting their Savior. During trials, we can experience this thing that I call theological amnesia. And so James reminds us that in trials, we must remember that God providentially uses trials to strengthen our faith. Trials, man, they can be all-consuming. It can be hard to think about almost anything else And and we can tend to forget everything that we know to be right and good and true in the midst of them. I mean, it can can be hard to even see beyond our pain at times. Our, our, Our feelings can dominate and be what leads us. And trials can so easily turn us inward with thoughts of hopelessness and despair, feelings of fear and anxiety. Our minds can run wild with thoughts of, is there really a purpose in this? How much longer? I can't go much longer with this. Where'd you go, God?
And friends, it's, it's here. It's here where the, the battle of what you feel versus what is real and true must occur. And our, our feelings can seem so real, can't they? And, and, and yet if they're not in line with the truth of Scripture, they're a lie. I, I think we need to be far more suspicious of our feelings, especially in trials. This is why James asks us to consider our trials, to think about our trials from a perspective of joy. He knows that our, our feelings and our emotions betray us. We fight against our subjective feelings with the objective truth of God's word. Family, we, we, we fight. We do battle against our subjective false feelings by, by preaching and, and rehearsing and reading the objective truths of Scripture. I, I don't know if you've heard this before, but um, no one speaks more to you than you. No one speaks more to you than you, right? You, you wake up right in the morning, the alarm bell goes off, and you start having an internal dialogue with yourself. Thoughts start racing about yesterday's uh, things that you're not worried about, this afternoon's business meeting that you have concerns about, the confrontation that he's been making with the coworker, the, the struggle that's going on at home, questions about this, thoughts about this, conspiracy theories about this thing over here, and it keeps going throughout the rest of the day. Sometimes you might bring somebody else into that conversation, but not always. You have a lovely conversation with yourself throughout the day until God mercifully gives you sleep and it stops. No one talks to you more than you. The question is, is your conversation rooted in your feelings or the truth of God's word? Now, knowing myself, and I said, talked to plenty of people who are in the same predicaments, and, and even, even Scripture itself, I think the reality is that most certainly when we are in times of trial and suffering, fear, anxiety, anger, that predominantly it's, it's out of the outworking and outflow of our subjective feelings. We, we fight against our subjective feelings by preaching the objective truth of Scripture to ourselves. That, that conversation is almost autopilot. It just happens. And unless we intentionally stop the conversation and speak better things to ourselves, that subjective feeling-based conversation will continue. And, and listen, this fight doesn't just end with one of those, Stuart, that's wrong, this is right. Oh, okay, good, we're ready to go. No, no, I mean, the whole Christian life can be described as an ongoing battle 
of what you feel versus what is real and true in God's word. It doesn't stop with one, with one encouraging comment. I mean, dare I say that every, every comment, every conversation that you have that's based off your feelings, you need to then have a better conversation with yourself over and over and over again. You see, when we're in trials and it feels like life has taken a nosedive, we and, and, and others around us, we, we need help to do this. We must preach. We must remember again and again that the grace-filled, soul-satisfying truths of Scripture, like God providentially uses trials to strengthen our faith. Friends, our, our trials are not random. They are not, they are not meaningless, and they are not without the purpose of God in them. God's ultimate goal in our trials is for his children to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, that said, James knows that here and now we are going to lack some things, so that actually brings us uh, to um, J- uh, James' second piece of wisdom. So here we go, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, for he gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a, is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the, uh, from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his Ways. So James, the second piece of wisdom for us is in trials. We must remember that God has the wisdom we're lacking. What we lack in trials is not ultimately a new circumstance. It's, it's the wisdom to navigate our circumstances in God-honoring ways. The problem is, is we can, we can tend to forget in trials that God has the wisdom that we need. And, and this is James's presumption is if that we lack anything in trials, it's wisdom. Now, the Bible doesn't speak of wisdom as just knowing stuff. It does speak about knowledge, but that's not what wisdom is. The Bible considers wisdom as the application of knowledge in God-earning ways to a particular situation. It's the application of knowledge. That's what it is to be, to live wise. It's to actually apply knowledge in God-honoring ways to our lives. It's not unusual in trials to feel lost and confused with, with how we're to move forward in a particular situation. I remember talking to a friend a couple years ago, um, going through a long, um, um, long trial, and they would talk about their, their thinking being like Swiss cheese. They would also talk about how they would second-guess themselves at every, at every decision, sometimes describing their thinking like mental paralysis, just locked up and just, just couldn't make a decision about anything. Trials often bring confusion. And James knows this, so he wisely reminds those in trials to ask God for the wisdom they're lacking. Friends, in trials, and and, and hear me now, we we don't have to prove to ourselves 
We don't have to prove to others, and we most certainly don't have to prove to God that, that we've got it all figured out. Because we don't. In fact, trials just expose that about us. We don't have it all figured out. One of the reasons that, that God, or one of the, the, the purposes of God using trials is to expose our deficiencies that we lack. We don't have it figured all out. We need him. And he also uses trials to, to knock out all those props that we put up to kind of keep ourselves upright that are, that are not of God. We think we're doing well. He knocks all those out too. The reality is our lack our lack cannot be made up by human effort because wisdom is a gift from God. This is why we're told to go ask God for it. And, and James wants, he so desperately wants confused people to go to God and ask them for what they're lacking. And, and so he reminds us of some truths about who God is and what God says he'll do. James says, ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. God is generous. He's not stingy. He is eager to lavish good gifts to his children. God is also gentle and compassionate. Friends, he won't rebuke or shame you when you come to him. Whether it's the first time or the hundredth time. God loves you and he wants you to come to him and to ask him for what you're lacking because he has it. And he promises that he will give it to you. Friends, we must remember that God has the wisdom we're lacking in trials. There's a qualification in verse six. James says, we're to ask God for wisdom in faith without doubting. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to go trusting God, trusting who he is, what he says he will do, and trusting that he has what we lack. See, we're not supposed to go, we're not supposed to go like this. We're not supposed to go ask God for wisdom while simultaneously questioning whether he has the wisdom we need, and then from that suspicion, sort of go hedge our bets with alternative wisdom for elsewhere, because you know, Maybe the big guy can't figure this one out. James calls this person double-minded. Think, uh, think of someone being two-faced. Doubt-filled prayers come from a divided heart that wavers between confidence in the Lord and whether or not prayer even works. Functionally, this, this is the person who kind of dabbles with God's wisdom, doesn't fully trust him, so also dabbles in some worldly wisdom as well. James likens this instability to waves bouncing haphazardly over the sea. Friends, this is, I need to hear this too. Friends, going to God, asking for wisdom in this double-minded way ends up knocking out the legs of our faith right out from underneath of us. If this is us, we're going to be tossed by every wind of desire, every wind of circumstance, 
Every wind of false feeling because we're not anchored by faith to God, the immovable rock. Trials are often bewildering. And what we more often not lack in the midst of them is, is wisdom. The, the, the ability to, to, to navigate through them in God-honoring ways. And since we're prone to forget this, and prone to forget that God has what we're lacking, James reminds us that in trials, we must remember that God has the wisdom we're lacking. So let's just pause for just a moment. Have you ever had the suspicion that uh, your problems are too insufficient, too insignificant for God to, uh, to deal with? Right? I mean, they're, they're starving people in the world, right? Or, or maybe you've kind of settled in on the fact that, yeah, there is a thing as asking one too many times. I mean, yeah, maybe I am being a nuisance, continuing to go back and ask for the same thing over and over and over again. I think, that, I think that we can think this way about God because this is how we treat each other at times. But it's not true with God. In fact, the way James tells us to ask in verse five is, is, is a present command. And, and, and so the meaning is that James is telling us to, to ask and ask again and ask again, and ask again. We're to go again and again and again in faith each time, and we're to be assured that in Christ, our Heavenly Father will generously provide us with the wisdom we need. You see, don't, don't project on God how we treat each other. God will not turn you away nor shame you for coming in faith for the first time or the fifth time or the twentieth time or the fiftieth time. He loves you. He so desires to lavish good gifts to you as children. And he wants you to come, to come again in faith, trusting that he has what you're lacking. Of course, the rub is, <laughs> and it feels silly if you're not in the midst of a trial, but, but we know it is when we think back on it. We forget this. We, we forget this, and we, we, can, we can even see it functionally when we look back on it, because we'll look everywhere else for wisdom. I'm thinking the number Wikipedia page or, or whatever, what have you. Of course, the reality is that only God has the wisdom that we're lacking. So James reminds us that in trials, we must remember that God has the wisdom we're lacking. All right, so James goes from basically like a, a 30,000 foot view of, of the problems, and he kind of swoops down on the street level now um, for, for these friends that he's writing to. Um, so next piece of wisdom, let's reread 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because... 
Like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also with the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. So James's third piece of wisdom is in trials. In trials, we must remember to celebrate our eternal position in Christ. Right, so we've got to remember that James's audience was a, was a mix of both poor and rich Christians, um, probably predominantly poor, but it was, a, it was a mix. And so James addresses both the lowly brother, the poor, and the, the rich. Uh, and he sees them as both having and experiencing trials. Now, poverty and riches don't have to be trials, but more often than not, the Bible speaks about the potential of them both being just that. You see, here's the deal. Both, both groups are prone to forget. Both, both groups are prone to theological amnesia and trials and so can focus on the wrong things. In the middle of trials, all of us, rich, poor, it don't matter, can be tempted to forget who God is and who we are in relation to him. We're talking about circumstances here. So let me say, circumstances don't cause us to sin. Just like these folks that James is writing to, we, we sin because there's sin in our hearts. That's what the Bible says. We sin because there's sin in our hearts. Circumstances, circumstances are just the occasion to reveal what's, what's going on in here. It's the pressure that kind of squeezes out what's here. Is it hope and trust in God? Is it love of neighbor? Or is it, is it self-preservation and hatred, etc.? Now, we're going to talk more about this next week. The reason I say it now is that trials, like poverty and riches, are the circumstances that reveal who we believe God to be and who we believe that we are in relation to him. Circumstances are the occasion to kind of squeeze us and see what we're really believing, what we're really trusting in. All right, so James brings correction to both groups, and then he actually, for both of them, provides the, the same, he reminds them of the same thing. James says, verse 9, let the lowly brother, that's the poor, boast in his exaltation. The, the poor are reminded to celebrate in and find their value in their eternal position in Christ. You see, James knows that the temptation of these folks is, is gonna be get, to get like depressively consumed with their lot in life and, falsely, and to falsely see their identity in their circumstances. And, and as they get more wrapped up in these things, these circumstances here, things like bitterness and despair, self-pity, shame, worthlessness can set in. And, and then they can also soon forget that their identity in the spiritual realm is that of exalted. They're, they're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. They, they have a seat at the king's table. And so James reminds the poor, celebrate in and find your value in your eternal position in Christ Jesus, not in your circumstances here. Now, the rich may think they have it better off, but the Bible is actually pretty clear that being rich is kind of a worse trial. There's a reason Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God.
And James reminds the rich of the same thing. To celebrate in, to find their value in, their eternal position in Christ. Is that a rich can be tempted to get, get foolishly consumed with their lot in life and see their identity in their circumstances too. And as they get wrapped up in their circumstances here, things like arrogance and pride and self-sufficiency start to set in and then their, their hope and their trust can move away from God into their material possessions and in their privileged status in society. This is idolatry. James tells the rich, don't take pride in your earthly stuff and in your social positions. These things don't last. They're like flowers that just quickly fade away. No, celebrate your humble status as the one who, as, as one who joyfully identifies with Jesus, the one who gladly gave up his riches and status in heaven to be born as a man and give his life for you. Celebrate in and find your value in your eternal position in Christ Jesus. There, there's, there's no partiality with trials. Rich, poor, all experience trials and all can be tempted to forget their heavenly status. And so James reminds all that in trials, we must remember to celebrate our eternal position in Christ. Now, we might not be, by any strict definition, either poor or rich financially, but we actually don't have to think about these categories in financial ways to be able to apply the truths of them. You see, we can think of poor and rich essentially uh, as being anything that our culture either looks down on or celebrates in. So, here's some questions. Do you find yourself to be poor or rich in your social status? or in your position at work, or your rank? Do you find yourself to be poor or rich in your looks, your intelligence, youth, your, your popularity at school, everyone in your, your sort of academic or athletic prowess? As you consider your circumstances or positions, are they, are they more of a temptation to pull you towards shame or inadequacy? As you think about them, is that your temptation? That's an indicator of poor. Or as you consider your, your circumstances and positions, are you more tempted to be pulled towards self-importance or self-sufficiency? Rich. You see, we need to we need to ask these types of questions because the, the answers, the answers are those things that you will be, you will be liable to, to, to wallow in or trust in when trials come. The, these are the things that will, that will pull your gaze away from Christ Jesus and who you are in Christ and to be tempted to, to get sidetracked by that stuff. And friends, that stuff doesn't matter in the end. It all goes away. 
Friends, the most important thing in the end is that we are found fully forgiven in Jesus. That we are found as one who has been repenting of our sins, and trusting in Christ and worshiping God, reconciled to the creator of the universe. That's what matters in the end. We're prone, though, to forget these types of things in trials. So James wants to remind us, remember to celebrate our eternal position in Christ. All right, well, we're prone to forget things in the midst of trials. Hope that's clear here, right? And so James, wanting to kind of tie this section off, actually looks back up to the beginning where he started, and he, and he considers this idea of steadfastness again. So this brings us to the last piece of wisdom for us this morning. Let's reread verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast in her trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So the final piece of wisdom here for this morning is that in trials, we must remember that God's future reward to those who endure trials is a sure promise. During trials, we can kind of get like this, this tunnel vision. And we just lose sight of the big picture, don't we? Like all we can see is like what's right in front of us. And it's just nothing but the pain and confusion and everything else. Just might as well not even be there. James understands this. And so he reminds us that, that those who remain steadfast, those who, those who endure through trials are blessed. And the reason is, he says, for or, or, or because when this person has stood the test, they will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Right? This is like the halftime speech. You know, the, the charge from Coach James here is that those who patiently persist through the faith-refining trials of, of, of life to the end are blessed because God has promised that those who do will receive eternal life. The promise of eternal life for those who persevere. This is a, a blood-bought promise that Jesus purchased at the cross. This, this is a, it, it is guaranteed because of what Christ accomplished. You see, we, we strive and we persist in this life of faith through trials to the end because we know that the prize of being with our Heavenly Father forever is not a hope. It's a promise. It's a sure promise in Christ Jesus. You see, friends, our, our efforts are not graceless but grace-fueled as they are to be rooted in this promise of future grace that's in store for those who remain steadfast under trial, trials to the end. We can so easily forget this, can't we? In the midst of a trial, there's nothing good coming to us. So James reminds us, though, there is God's future reward to those who endure trials as a sure promise. 
And if you're like me, man, in trials, it's, it's just, it's hard to see beyond the end of your nose. Truth be told, I can get, I can get so wrapped up in my stuff that I can make other things worse. I, I can get so wrapped up in my stuff that I can, I can neglect work, friends, family, health, a relationship with Jesus. Beloved, God doesn't want us to go through trials with our heads down, just slogging through them. That's why this is here. This promise is here because God wants to lift us up and give us wings to, to fly through trials, trusting him, loving him with full, full hope and expectation because he's made sure promised, promises to us in Christ. The next time you're going through a trial or, or you're encouraging somebody else who, who is, remember, remember God's future reward to those who endure. It's a sure promise. You know, we're, we're liable to forget this, though. And that's why we need others as well. We need each other to remind ourselves of these things. We need others to come alongside us when we, when we don't have the strength to, to preach these things to ourselves, we, we need each other. This isn't a call to dig deep within yourself, but to endure as you receive God's motivating grace by remembering his sure promise of eternal life. Mm. Trials. <laughs> they can be all-consuming. And we're, we're prone to this, this whole theological amnesia thing. We're, we're, we're prone to forget all the good things that we know in the midst of trials. It's, it's, it's a symptom of, of still dealing with our leftover sin. But in God's kindness, he reminds us that to live wisely in trials, believers must remember truths of Scripture. I don't know about you, but I can come to an end of a passage like this. I can, feel, I can feel graciously corrected. I can be ready to apply, but I can also be also very aware of my, of my shortcomings, my inadequacies, and I can also feel hopeless. Friends, I want to remind you, like I get too often, there is grace for change here. We have the Holy Spirit within us, and we're united to Jesus, the very one who always perfectly, wisely walked through trials always remembering truths of scripture. We're united to that one. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he, the all-wise one, wants to strengthen us and give us the help we need to, to do these things. This is not a, it's not a graceless venture. This is not a hopeless thing. In Christ, friends, there is grace and there is hope and there is power to change here. In his infinite wisdom, he's given us each other. I say it again. We can come alongside each other 
We must. We cannot do this life alone. In his grace and his kindness, he's given us each other as well to pick us up, to remind us of the truths that we're prone to forget. Friends, in the strength of the Holy Spirit and with the help of each other, let's live wisely in trials as we remember truths of Scripture. Let's pray. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for providing this passage. This is a wonderful passage for <laughs> without it, we, we wouldn't be reminded of these truths that we need to remember. And so in your grace and in your kindness, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this passage. Holy Spirit, I do pray that you would help us. Help us to, to go from here changed already in some measure, in some way of just sitting underneath the, the transformative word of God, but Holy Spirit also help us to, to intentionally pursue change. Pursue change with each other. Pursue change in the power that you provide. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.